Hello, everybody. My name is Richard C. Wilson. I'm here today with my friend Thomas Handler from Handler Thayer. And um, I have known Tom for the better part of a decade or probably right about a decade now. And he is one of the top three, if not the top, estate planning and tax attorney um, for family offices and ultra wealthy families. He's worked with dozens, if not hundreds of centimillionaires, billionaires, single family offices, and I've always respected uh, his advice and kind of mentorship since I first got into the business. So welcome, Tom. Thank you, Richard. It's a pleasure to be here. Sure. And uh, you mentioned something on a discussion panel at one of our events about when you're in discussions around um, certain tax strategies, there's ways sometimes to protect certain types of discussions. We're going to get to that in a minute. But if we back up just a little bit on why that's even an important area to interview you on. Can we talk just a little bit about the importance of privacy and why families should care about this maybe more so than they, they currently do if they're not focused on this? Absolutely. So as a threshold comment, I would say that most families inadequately perceive to le the level of risks to which they're subject. So given that, privacy and confidentiality have always been important, but they are far more important today than they once were largely because of social media and the web. Once something is out there, uh, the cat's out of the bag and very difficult to put back in. And if anybody saves it, it'll keep reappearing in perpetuity. So that's important. And secondly, because data flows so freely, six degrees of separation are now down to 3.2, last study I saw. And so anybody can get your data and keeping private from Cyber hackers, thieves, terrorists, criminals, kidnappers, con men, salespeople, whoever is much more important now than it used to be. And so whatever efforts families can use to stay off the radar screen, keep a low profile, will have an inordinate impact on the risks that they ultimately face. Right. I know I've had uh, one client, I think there might have been a client in common, but he said he had been blackmailed 12 times since he started his first company. And, you know, it could be anything from a secretary, you know, threatening him with someone, threatening him with something or somebody from outside the company. And you just open yourself to more, you know, attacks or approaches of that type, I guess, if you, you know, wave the flag all over the place about what you're doing. But I also have seen daily Wall Street Journal columns on, you know, the IRS building up their, their wealth squad and, and IRS, you know, getting more funding to, to audit more, more individuals. And, what type of privilege is there between a CPA and a client versus an attorney and a client? Like what, what should investors know about any privileges that are there in terms of private discussions? Uh, I, I view it as three levels of protecting confidentiality. Initial level is just being prudent. Uh, for example, naming trusts and naming family holding companies. Uh, I advise clients to keep their name out of those enterprises because if someone can attach that entity to your name, someone leaks information to the bank, they realize how many assets are there, someone to the brokerage firm sees it. Although I would think for the most part, firms are quite good. All it takes is one person to breach confidentiality, information gets out. So keeping your name off of things uh, is important for a whole host of reasons with government agencies, banks, securities firms, wirehouses. Secondly, there are things that can be done, contracts, and specific agreements for non-shop, confidentiality, privacy, privacy, non-disclosure, all the help, for example, having agreements, they can't talk to the media, 
no books, no rice, punitive trouble damages, and they forfeit twice they made off the book or the interview or doing right. it. And so things that really provide a great disincentive to protect that privacy. And then you have this uh, CPA privilege, which has been badly eroded over the years. So it's, it's there. Uh, it's almost like a priest, minister, rabbi privilege. Uh, there's something there, but ultimately you're going to get held to testify in court in most cases. Then the attorney-client privilege, uh, which I've, I've seen agencies attempt to breach privilege and compel us to uh, come forward with documents or information. And uh, we have fought it every time and we have never come forward or willing. We've never willingly come forward. We've always shown up and said, nope, it's privilege. We're not going to be there. And I think that uh, that's what most firms would do. And so that is the highest level uh, law out there available to protect the confidentiality of your documents where even under court order, uh, I could be disbarred for giving up that information. That's a pretty strong disincentive to keep things private. Right, for sure. So if part of this is related to tax planning and you have a string of emails between you and a CPA, if you're able to bring an attorney into the mix to also comment on that whole conversation, even if they come in at the ninth hour and it's email number 22, but then the attorney enters that conversation for another look at that conversation, um, can you envelope and, and package your whole tax planning efforts or a deal because the attorney was involved at some point or is, is it only at the point that they got involved or how does that play out? Sure. So the interpretations vary among various courts around the country. So that's kind of a given. But as a general rule, uh, the attorney, in your example, neither attorney would have to disclose that information. They're doing their job and we can count on them. The accountants would typically be limited to the CPA privilege, which is not as strong. So that information would okay. get out better. Though uh, you could argue that the CPA was working under your direction or working with you and therefore should be privileged. But the best way to help ensure that is with what's called a Covell letter, which is based on a case. And a Covell letter is a letter that says, uh, you are working with us under our direction in this tax planning, estate planning, strategy, business formation, structure, whatever it happens to be, deal, uh, intellectual property, confidential area. And at all times, although the client can pay you directly, you're working under our direction and you're part of our privilege. So having that letter is the highest level uh, document available to help ensure that people like CPAs, actuaries, benefit consultants, consultants, strategists are also wound under that attorney-client privilege. Hmm, great. That must, uh, I think that bodes well for uh, tax attorneys being involved and people wanting a tax attorney involved and not just their CPA, or if they like to work with two people equally, they're just going to have more protection working with a, a tax attorney, I guess, than a CPA, which is interesting because some people can be very sharp on the CPA side, but it just has to do with the legal profession having more protection around it than the CPA profession at the, the base of it, right? Sure. So about 40% of our attorneys started in public accounting, including me. And uh, I took every tax course available to me as an undergraduate in Illinois, which I think has been the top tax program in the world 74 in the last 80 years. Texas, I think, is currently number one. But uh, I took every tax course there was available to me, and there were two. 
right? As a grad student, there were a lot more, but two courses doesn't give you a lot. A poor law school will have a dozen courses. Mm. A good law school with an LLM program might have 30 or 40. So it's a, a different level of education, a deeper dive, and you're trained in privilege and procedure at a different level than the CPAs get. And not that it, there, there aren't CPAs who are expert at this and quite good, but on average, it's not really a close call. So in procedurally preserving privilege and having, having the higher end expertise, uh, I tend to side on the side of law firms. And that was part of my decision to go to law school was I worked in public accounting. I saw what was going on. It was pretty clear to me which side of the table I wanted to be on. But for privilege purposes, the attorney privilege is much more formidable. Sure. Makes sense. Uh, anything else related to single family office privacy, private investor privacy, or tax planning that you wanted to bring up related to this topic before we close out? Yeah, I, I would say that um, we attempt to routinely use Covell letters, uh, particularly with large engagements and large high net worth, high income clients, because one, they're highly targeted. Uh, the wealth squad alone is formidable. And even in the last uh, 12 years, audits of the top 1% have gone up precipitously, over, although the overall number of examinations have gone down. So the focus has shifted and you've got, uh, you know, you've got the top 1% paying more tax than the bottom 90%. So of course they're gonna spend their time there. And under right. the Biden proposals, that number is gonna become much more egregious, right? So right. we know where the money is. And in addition, uh, the Biden speech, which I, will, I call for lack of a better word, eat the rich speech, made it crystal clear, these taxes are punitive, they're confiscatory, and they're squarely aimed at the top 1%. So the writing's on the wall. So with that, I would suggest that more liberal use of Covell letters is prudent uh, with CPAs, actuaries, benefits consultants, strategists, the whole shot. Uh, at least you have the chance to protect documents. Putting the words attorney-client privilege on documents should be more important and being very careful not to let privileged documents seep out because if they seep out to a spouse or a roommate or someone that's not subject to privilege, then the, the smart prosecutor or IRS attorney will go at that person and say, you know, so-and-so, Mrs. Jones, did your husband happen to mention this deal? Yeah, he talked all about it. He's very excited. Well, how did that work? Did you ever see? Yeah, I saw those too. She is not covered by the privilege, arguably. Mm -hmm. So it becomes very important not to, to let it out. It's more likely going to consultants or people more distant than the CPA or the lawyer. Sure. Uh, but prudence and protecting the confidentiality uh, has a bigger upside and a greater downside than it did in the past. And so this should be paid attention to more than it currently is. Right, great, makes sense. Uh, well, I appreciate your time here um, today. If anyone um, is looking for someone to help their single family office get things structured uh, correctly in terms of either estate planning or tax planning, you know, I've known uh, Tom Handler for a long time and I know he's worked with hundreds of family office clients. And um, how many people do you have on your team there, Tom? Uh, we have 24 attorneys and a support staff of something smaller than that. Yeah. We're uh, based in Chicago. We have offices in Scottsdale, Naples, Florida, Palm Beach, Florida, and Washington, D.C., and clients in 40-some states, all the territories except Guam and about 40 foreign countries. So we travel a lot and do a lot yeah. of Zoom calls. 
Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. Well, uh, I'm in Scottsdale now. So if you want to have a 10 minute cup of coffee sometime when you're in town, let me know. And I appreciate your time here today. Thanks so much for having me. Have a good weekend. You too. All right. Buddy.